0: Right. well good morning. Uh, welcome to H2O. It's so good to have you here with us today. Uh, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the, the teaching pastor and the lead pastor here at H2O. and it's so great to have you here and special welcome to you if you're new or visiting or checking out H2O for one of the first times. We love having you here and I'd uh, love to meet you in the back after the service if you want to get to know me a little bit more or even more about this church. And, and if you have been with H2O this summer you know that we've been working through this series that we're calling Unfiltered. And the series has been kind of this walk through the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms, it's like this really unique book. It's right in the middle of the Bible, and it's this book of poetry. Many of the Psalms are written by King David, who some of us have heard about. And uh, these Psalms, we call it Unfiltered because they're really a cry from the heart. And we call it Unfiltered because not only are they a cry from the heart, but they're honest they real they raw and so throughout this series we've seen a vast range of emotions. You know, we've seen some Psalms that were just like a celebration and people crying out to God and praising God and so thankful for Him. We've seen other Psalms where people were in desperation, you know, and they were just honest with God. Uh, Some of the Psalms were saying things like, God, where are you? God, I I don't even feel you. God, what is going on right now? And so we love this series because I think it kind of models for all of us what it can look like to have a vibrant relationship with God. You see, God wants us to come to him unfiltered. God doesn't want us to feel like we have to dress ourselves up or, or come and put together some good religious language to talk to Him, but God wants real, honest, heartfelt unfiltered prayers in our relationship with him and when we're unfiltered with him it it deepens our intimacy and our connection and so this has been a fun series. We also take time during the summer to give some of our pastoral residents and our pastors in training an opportunity to share so I haven't been sharing as much and it's been great to get to see these guys develop as we seek to be a church that is not just a church that's growing here in Bowling Green as we are which is really cool but a church that's sending out church plants as well and part of that is developing people so it's been a fun summer for us and and Today we're going to come to look at a psalm that's actually kind of near and dear to my heart. It's, it's a close psalm to me and to my family. We're going to look at Psalm 19 together today. In Psalm 19, uh, some people say it is one of the most beautiful psalms that has ever been written. Some people say that this is one of the most beautiful uh, sections in all of the Bible because it's so poetic and, and it cries out about the glory and the majesty of God. And, and this psalm's close to me and my family because it's actually uh, one of the first verses that we memorized together as a family. Uh, about three years ago, my family and I have a 10-year-old now, an eight-year-old, and a five-year-old. We were on vacation to Colorado, and we go to, to Colorado almost every summer. We love going to Colorado and, and we love getting our kids out there. There's a couple reasons why we like to vacation in Colorado, just to give you a heads up, too. We have family out there, so we always have a place to stay. We have a leadership training program out there where we actually have students out there right now this summer and there's hundreds of students from around the country and we're we're part of helping to run that program so we always like to check in on that program but but honestly probably the biggest reason we love going to Colorado is we don't want our kids to be so sheltered as to think that these flatlands of Bowling Green are normal right you know it's like you know, our kids think that Conneaut Hill which is like this little man made 20 foot hill over here they think that was a mountain you know and so we're like we got to get our kids out and culture them and see that there are actually changes in the elevation you know throughout the world so so we love going to Colorado, and uh, we're, we're driving out to Colorado. It's about three years ago. It's a long drive, but, but we usually drive it, and we just cross the border over into Colorado. And, and you think, okay, great, you're about there. But where we go, Estes Park, it's, you cross into Colorado, it's still a five-hour drive, so everybody's getting kind of grumpy. Everybody's getting kind of tired of being in the car. And my wife, she has this great idea. She says, hey, as a family, I think we should memorize a verse together for this week. And, and we didn't have it planned or anything, but we just decided we're going to re- memorize Psalm 19. And so uh, we start kind of talking about the psalm, and it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands, you know, and so we have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old at the time, and we're just saying that verse over and over to each other, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of his hands, and we're memorizing it together, and we're talking about that verse, and all of a sudden, this storm rolls through, and it's a pretty bad storm, it almost looks like a tornado, so we kind of pull over to a gas station, we wait the storm out, and, and we get back in the car at the end of this storm, we jump in, and we turn around the corner, and it's kind of our last time memorizing together, we say together, the family. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. We come around this this corner, and literally the skies open up. The sun sets. We see the mountains for the first time, and it's like this magical moment that that we drew. The kids were like, did you make, did you plan that out on purpose, you know? Wow, like even our kids were just in awe of God's beauty as we were saying. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the the works of his hands. And we drove into Colorado, and that was our our verse as a family. And we oftentimes now, even when we're in Bowling Green, I mean, I don't know if Colorado has anything on the sunsets that exist around here, right? And so oftentimes, we'll be like just driving around, and we'll say that verse together, because there's something within all of us that is just drawn to the beauty of creation, isn't there? Maybe you're not even an outdoors person, you know? Maybe like your idea of camping has gone to, you know, the Hilton or whatever, but, but there's still something inside all of us, even if you're not an outdoors person that's drawn to the beauty of God's creation. There's something about when you see a beautiful sunset, or you see a mountain, or you, you sit on the ocean, you know, and, you're, and your toes are in the sand, and, and you look out, and you just say, man, there's something else out there. There's something that created this. There's something way bigger than me, and this is what Psalm 19 is talking about. The heavens Declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hand. You see, together today, here's the big idea that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this. God's creation and his word lead us to desire him more. Okay, God's creation and his word lead us to desire him more. And I think this is a truth that is actually written on all of our hearts and sometimes we may kind of put our, our hands up or sometimes we may even put a wall up, but, but God uses his creation and God uses his word to continually draw us to him so that we desire him more and more. See, throughout this psalm, Psalm 19 that we're going to look at today, we're going to see these three different prints of God in our lives. These, these three different kind of prints that God lays out, the psalm is broken down into three different parts, and the first six verses talk about God's fingerprint in creation, and that's where we get into the idea that, that the heavens do declare the glory of God, and so we're going to see the fingerprint of God in his creation. Then the second part of this psalm, it kind of takes almost a 90-degree a, a, a a, a turn, and, and it starts talking about God's blueprint for us in his word, So the first part of the psalm is all about God's creation, and then we're going to start understanding how God's word and his creation are actually related to one another, and how God's blueprint for our life is so powerful and so life-giving for us. And finally, we're going to see how those two things lead us to have an imprint on our heart so that we want to follow God, and we will be changed men and women. So the psalm is broken down into these three different prints, and we're going to walk through that together today. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up with us. Uh, You can also along. We have an H2O app if you want to check out the notes in there, or we'll have the notes on the screen behind us. Psalm 19, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the works of its hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the end of the world in the heaven he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course it rises at one end of the heavens and it mates its circuit to the other nothing is hidden from its heat and the first thing we can learn from these first 6 verses is this that god's fingerprint leads us to see him God's fingerprint of creation leads us to see him. We talked about this, how all of us deeply desire that. And and, and there's nobody, no matter where you stand spiritually, I'm convinced of this. No matter whether you consider yourself a seeker, an agnostic, an atheist, or somebody who's following Jesus, I don't think there's anybody that can't just look at the beauty of creation and say, man, that makes me at least wonder if there's a possibility that God does exist. You know, it's interesting. This psalm actually kind of draws us to this question of, is God even real at all? And this psalm has actually been used to help people understand the reality of God. And one of the things we say around here a lot at H2O is, we hope that every single person, no matter what your background is, no matter what your belief system even is, feels comfortable coming here and at least observing those of us who are followers of Christ. So if you're somebody who's here and and you're just honest with us and you say, you know what, maybe I am a little bit skeptical of whether God exists. I want you to know this today, that, that Psalm 19 may help point you to the reality of his existence. It's funny because especially being a church in a college town, you know, sometimes people get this idea that, that faith in Christ and science, they kind of conflict with each other, that, that, they, that they can't work together, that they're, that they're like these two mutually exclusive things. And you can never be a Christian who actually thinks. You can never be a follower of Christ who actually seeks to understand what science is really about. But the reality is that could not be further from the truth. See, as followers of Christ, as people who believe in the Bible, we're called to actually be people of reason. We're called to actually be people who think. And so Psalm 19 is what some people would call this cosmological argument for God. When you think about how do you help people to understand if God actually exists or not, one of the strongest arguments for this is what we call and what theologians call, and it's a big fancy word, but I think it's important for us to know some of those words. They call it the cosmological argument for God. Cosmos, right? The universe And so you look out at the heavens and the the stars and the sky. You look at the complexity of life. Look at the complexity of a human, down to the DNA, down to ourselves. You look at the beauty of the world and all that goes on in it. And you say, there's got to be a creator for that. There has to be. The, the old argument is the argument of a, of a watchmaker, right? And, and especially when this f- argument was first developed many years ago, you know, people would have these intricate watches that were made, you know, and they have all these different gears, and they'd have all these different unique things that go on inside them. Uh, watches are actually pretty complex sometimes, and, and somebody would say, as you look at a watch, you don't say that it just magically kind of assembled itself together, do you? I mean, there's no possible way that, that it would, you look at the complexity of a watch, and you say, there must be a watchmaker and that's what the cosmological argument for God says to us you look at anything complex in our world you look at an airplane now or an iPhone or a computer and you don't think that those parts just magically flew you know a tornado hit they flew together and now it just works like an iPhone of course not you look at it and you say there had to be some type of intelligent designer who put together how to develop that magnificent piece of technology and that's what we as followers of Christ, that's kind of the, the foundation of our belief in God is that as you look around the world, you say, there's got to be something bigger. There's got to be somebody greater than us. And, and sometimes we get into this, this idea that, that, that nobody that's actually like a scientist or really smart believes that. The reality is most scientists over the history Of the world have actually believed at least in some type of intelligent design. I'm not gonna say that they were all uh, followers of Christ, but you look at people like Einstein or Galileo, and they they all said there's definitely some type of intelligent creator that made what we have here. And even modern day, there's scientists who would affirm this fact. I want you to to listen to this quote from uh, John Polkinghorne. It's gonna come up here, and he's a a physicist at, at the University of Cambridge. He says this I believe in God. Why? Even though I've never seen him, it makes sense of all the evidence I see out there of the incredibly complex nature of the world, of the multifaceted levels of reality, of the fact that people long for worship and hope, of the fact that there is a phenomenon of Jesus throughout the world. This guy is one of the most renowned physicists that exists in the world today. And he says, not only do I believe in intelligent design, but I believe that Jesus is God himself because of the changed lives that we've continued to see. So this psalm lays a foundation for the fact that God exists. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. But but here's what I want us to hear today. That actually wasn't the original intent of what this psalm was written for. It applies to us still today. You know, And we can take that to heart, and those of us who are maybe questioning can, can dig into that a little bit deeper. But the original intent of this psalm wasn't to convince people that God existed. Because let's remember, this was written three or 4,000 years ago. There wasn't a question of whether there was a God. There was a question of, is the God of the Bible worth worshiping? And what would happen during that time is there would actually be these idols that people would worship. And one of the idols that people would worship was the sun, was the stars, was the universe, right? And and so the psalmist, in a sense, is saying, listen, don't waste your time worshiping the sun or worshiping the stars or worshiping the, the universe because, listen, they were all created by somebody even greater than that. They point to the glory of God. And so, when you confuse something that's created with the creator and start worshiping the creation rather than the creator, or we create idols in our own life. And so, the psalmist is saying, Listen, stop worshiping things that aren't worth our worship, but worship God. He was the one who created all this. He's magnificent, and the heavens actually point to Him. So, don't worship the thing that points to Him, worship Him. And so the psalmist is trying to get our our eyes and our hearts and our center of worship fixed on the right thing. You know, and it's interesting as we're here today because I haven't met too many people, you know, who who would say, you know, I worship the sun or I worship the stars. You know, we've we've maybe evolved as a a culture past that type of, of idol worship, but we still have idols in our own culture don't we? We still have idols in our own heart because an idol, simply put, is anything that we put in the place of God. Anything that we center our lives around, anything that we center our worship around and put in the place of the one true God, the creator of the universe. So it's a question for us all to think about that Psalm 19 calls us to address in our own life. Are there any idols in our lives? Are there any things that that, that should not be the center of our worship, but we have centered our life around them? We sang that song as we started off the service. Is there anything other than Jesus that we're centering our life on? And and you know, it's so tempting. And, And I can fall into this trap as a pastor. I think any of us can because sometimes God's gifts are so good. They're so rich. They're such blessings that we start to elevate them a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And before we know it, something that's good, a gift from God, actually becomes the center of what we do and worship and center our lives around. Think about like being a parent, if you're a parent here. I know that that's probably one of the the most greatest temptations for those of us who are parents is to center our lives around our kids. Right, because our kids are so awesome, and we love them, and, and they look like us, and you know they're fun and they're funny, and, and and I love my kids so much, and it's a temptation to revolve every single thing in my life around them. But listen, they're just gifts that God has given, and if I start to replace God in my life and put my kids in the center of my life, then I start to make an idol out of them. You know, maybe others of us we don't have kids, but maybe it's success. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's your career where you will literally do anything, anything to move up the ladder or to be successful. And if you're willing to do anything for something, that may mean that that something is a God in your life, is an idol in your life. Others, it may be a relationship which could be a gift from God. But if everything in our life revolves around it, it could become an idol in our life. Or for some of us, and this one could hit home for a lot of us. It might even be ourselves. One of the biggest idols that, that many of us struggle with is just our own selves. And everything in our lives revolves around us. And everything in our lives revolves around making ourselves happier, making ourselves comfortable. And we're, we're not willing to ever sacrifice for God. We're not willing to ever sacrifice for community because our, our life centers around ourselves. And the psalmist is saying, hey, listen, all those things are not bad. You are a gift from God. Even you, your very self, you're a gift from God. But you can't center your life around yourself. You have to center around the one who created and gave you all those gifts. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. So as you see those gifts, be directed towards him. Not directed towards the gifts, but give God glory. And then and only then will we be able to enjoy the gifts that God has given us. So let's jump back in. Let's, let's look at the second part of this psalm as we turn from, from looking at his fingerprint to his blueprint. In verse 7, it says this, says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, more pure than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. See, the second thing we can learn is this. God's blueprint inspires us to follow him. God's blueprint for our life inspires us to follow him. You know, some people almost look at this psalm and they say, maybe it should have been two different psalms because God's talking about creation for one minute and then he's talking about his word the next minute. They seem like two really unrelated things. But here's the reality. I think they're tied together because just as we look at God's creation and, and we're to be pointed to his glory, we're also to look at his word and say just like God's creation is so wonderful and magnificent and powerful, his word His word is actually the centerpiece of how we get to know him. See, nature and creation, it kind of points us to the fact that there is a God. But if you want to actually know who God is, not just know the fact that there is a God, but actually know who God is, his blueprint right here is who will tell you about his character and tell you about how you can live a life of joy and peace and goodness. And it's interesting because we talked about this cosmological argument for God. There's also a moral argument for God as well that's going on here. And the moral argument for God goes something like this. Because of the fact that across culture, across the world, no matter where you go, to an aboriginal tribe, you know, in South America or to some western developed country, there's a set of moral norms that all of us as humans have written on our hearts. You can go across the world and every culture, no matter where you go, will say it is wrong to murder. No matter what. And of course, there may be people who do that, but when they do that, the society as a whole punishes them because we say that's a wrong thing to do. It's wrong to steal from somebody. You know, as, as we look at these moral norms that, are, that, tri- that exist throughout cultures, throughout the world, it begs the question, where did those come from? I, I mean, how did, how did billions of people get this same baseline of moral norms? It must have come from one source who created all of us. And so as we look at the world, we can see the reality of God's existence, but as we look at what's written on our hearts as humans, we can say, there must be somebody who put that there. There must be something deeper that's going on within all of us. You know. And sometimes as, as we come to, to God's word, God's blueprint, sometimes people can look at the Bible, and one of the saddest things I think that happens within the church is when people look at the Bible or people outside the church, they look at what Christianity is about and they think that it's a bunch of people just following a bunch of rules. You know, sometimes people think that Christianity or church is just like the moral police out there, you know, just waiting to kind of crack down the whip on the people who are doing bad things. Sometimes people just reduce Christianity to that and it's so sad. It's so sad because it misses the heart of God's blueprint for all of us. God's blueprint God's law, God's word to us is his way of loving us. is his way of directing us. Of his, is his way of giving us abundant, full, rich life. And so as we seek to follow God more and more, as we seek to read his word, it becomes more pure. It becomes like gold. It becomes like honey. It says that God's statutes are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You know, uh, I talked about being a parent, and, and uh, one of the, the, the responsibilities of a parent is to lay down some blueprint, lay down some set of rules for their kids, right? And, and, and years ago, there was kind of this trend that you should never tell your kids no, and, and, and because you, you, know, you don't want to ruin their confidence or whatever, and that lasted for like a year because it just created little monsters, you know? And, and the reality is, it's good to have a set of standards as you raise kids. You, you think about that on, on, a, on a social level, it's good for me to to help my kids to learn how to be polite, to help my kids to interact with other people. It's also really important like on just a safety level, you know, when you, when you think about my kids, we were pretty laid-back parents, we still are, you know, um, but we had some rules that we were pretty firm on. One of them was like, if you're two years old, you can't play in the middle of the street. You know, that was like, we felt pretty good about that rule. We felt like that's probably pretty safe. And so, um, you know, different kids have different personalities, and our youngest, he's the one that would always push those 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 rules and so um, Isaac you know when he was two years old three years ago he kind of you can't play in the middle of the street and so he'd say okay you know I'd just kind of walk up to the edge of the street and just kind of stand there look back at you and I'd just be sitting on the porch Isaac don't go in the street you know you're going to get punished if you go in the street just kind of look back you know he's just thinking about it what am I going to do? Am I going to test the rules or am I going to do it, you know? And sometimes he say, okay, and he turned back. And other times he would just walk into the street just to see what I would do, the little sinner, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I would have to pull him back and I'd say, listen, I have to discipline you. As, as a parent, I cannot allow that. Listen, it's because I love you. If you play in the street too long, something bad will happen, I promise you. And I know you think it looks really fun, you know. I don't know why that, like, five feet out there looks better than this grass right here. Probably because I said you can't do it. But, but as we were talking to him, I'm like, buddy, you have to trust us. These rules are not to restrict you. They're to bless you. I'm not trying to put a burden on you. I'm trying to love you and care for you. And sometimes those of us who, who, who look at the Bible, who love God, who say that we're Christians, we're kind of like Isaac, and we're kind of standing here on the corner of the street, and we're kind of going, maybe I should go, or maybe I shouldn't. And we're right there on the edge. Maybe some of us are just dancing in the street right now, if we're really honest with ourselves. That's okay if you're there. But listen, sooner or later, it's not going to work out well for you. God's blueprint gives us abundant life and the question is do we trust him you know just like I was telling Isaac you have to trust me now my kids are a little bit older and so I can reason with them a little bit more and so when I give them a rule that they may not want to follow I'll literally ask them that question hey do you think that I'm giving you this rule because I'm trying to be mean or do you think that I'm giving you this rule because I love you do you think that I'm saying no because I'm trying to protect you or because I'm trying to to be mean I say, no, I think you're trying to love me. I may not understand it, but okay, you know, and they'll begrudgingly go along with it. Listen, we don't necessarily have to understand every reason why God may tell us to abstain from something, of, of why God may tell us to walk the way that he tells us to, of the blueprint that he gives for our life. But the question is, do we trust him? Do we truly trust him? The reality is, if we do, God's laws, they're not a burden, but they're a blessing to our life. And we get to be the people that God created us to be. And the longer we follow his blueprint, the more rich and fulfilling we will see that it is. So let's go back and let's close out this psalm. Psalm 19, verse 12, says this. It says, Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, third and finally, we can learn this. Seeing God clearly leaves an imprint on our lives. Seeing God clearly leaves an imprint on our lives. And the longer we follow his blueprint for our lives, the more and more we move closer to him. And it changes us. And it affects the people around us. And something powerful happens. See, as we close out with this psalm, he says, Who can discern his errors, forgive my hidden faults, and keep your servant from willful sins? David, who wrote this psalm, psalmist he he's telling us that believe it or not sin is a very big issue in all of our lives and and so as he says that he says i'm actually more sinful than i even know he says not only do i have willful sins i have sins that exist in my heart that i don't even know about and god there's only one remedy to those sins and it's you and it's your grace and it's your gospel and so I want to share and give us hope with that today. Maybe you're somebody who's here, and like I said, you've been playing in the middle of the street. You haven't followed God's blueprint for your, for your life. Maybe you're somebody here who started off this message, and you would say, I'm a skeptic. I'm not even sure if God is real. Again, it's awesome that you're here. We would be at a miss if we didn't tell you about God's deep love for you and God's deep desire for you to walk with him, for you to know him, and for you to be forgiven by him. See, the biggest need that all of us have in our life is for the forgiveness of God. That's what sets us free. That's what allows us to be the men and women that God created us to be. And that's what puts us on a trajectory to follow him for the rest of our lives. David says, God, forgive my sins. And so maybe that's you here today, no matter where you sit. Maybe today as you you sit and reflect on this psalm and the greatness of God, maybe you say there's some." type of idol in my life, something that I've put at the center of my life that I've centered everything around that isn't the Lord, that isn't Jesus, that isn't God, and I need to turn from that. I need God's forgiveness and help to follow him. Or maybe for the first time, I need to just acknowledge his existence and say, God, I want to follow you. I may not even know exactly what it looks like. You may not even have, have an idea of how to get started. The, the way to get started is to simply say, God, I need you. God, I need you, forgive me, I want to follow you. And when you hand your life over to him, he gives you something back that's so much greater than you could ever imagine. His blueprint for your life will blow you away and you'll be able to walk with him. So let's pray, let's invite the band up and let's close with a time of worship and communion.